So for, for people who are listening that don't know a lot about VFX, because I feel like most of my audience are people who are involved in cinematography and editing and not so much the, the effects side. Um, with ray tracing, you're essentially mimicking light. Uh, the camera itself will be the object that shoots out a uh, set of like photon-type mm-hmm. um, material. Rays. And it will bounce, bounce off and scatter off everything in the scene and then bounce back to the camera based upon uh, intensity that is determined by the lighting setup in, in the scene. Um, and while we do have real-time ray tracing, uh, in my experience, real-time ray tracing tends to be very noisy and, and have a lot of issues. Um, for, for now. I mean, yeah, for now. And give, give it about five years, and I think it'll be the replacement for ambient occlusion as, as like lighting and shadow approximation. But ambient occlusion, occlusion is where you have an algorithm that looks at the basic shape of an object. object. Um, not the entire shape, but like the basic, here's where the majority of the vertices are located, here's the area that the majority of the vertices are not. It looks at where the light, uh, which the light is now shooting the photon emulation uh, onto, but it's, it's a lot smaller, less detailed uh, than what you get with ray tracing's camera-based one. It bounces off, and then the algorithm determines where it thinks all the missing pieces would be at if it were ray traced. Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Um, but yeah, the difference between the two is a ray trace render can take five hours where a, what I call game engine render can take about five minutes. Or even instantaneous. Sometimes, yeah, instantaneous. It depends on how complicated the scene is. Yeah. And so that's what I really liked with MO2 is that it's pretty darn instantaneous. So you can get a pretty good idea of what something is going to look like. And it's like, there's no pre-render. It's, it's done. It, you know, it's. As soon as the rest of your video is rendered, then it's done. You're just you're just assembling the frames. So, I guess my big question is, what do you think is is next for you? Are there any big projects that you have uh, going on? Any connections that you've made that you think may play out? Like, where where do you want to be in five years? So, where I want to be in five years is realistically, um, I want to go even further with all of this. And by further with all of this, I mean. Uh, I'm currently on the back end building out all my old, my old training and doing it completely from scratch again. And my ultimate goal is to offer college level or higher uh, training in at least Final Cut in Motion and simple VFX and shooting and the needs of a production studio for free. That is my ultimate goal for the next couple of years. Along that journey... I want to keep working with Motion VFX. Uh, if if it can, continues to work out with them and they continue like working with me, I want to keep going with them because they've been fabulous and I really like what they're doing. Outside of that, uh, I'm really dedicated to education and working on productions. So you mentioned the other group with our friend George, video creators that care about making money, VTC Cam. And, uh, you know, that's something that me and him kind of got together for. And I've been producing some things for that that just aren't ready yet. And we're looking to kind of gear that up a little bit more uh, because we really believe in the power of giving back and sharing. There's there's no there's no um, loss in sharing what you've learned. It only makes all a rising tide lifts all boats. Okay, cool. So the end goal, it seems, is to put out essentially a, a online film school equivalent. Yeah, I, and I don't want to say film school because I think that's going to be a misnomer. I think a lot of people are going to expect, you know, to see, um, 
you know, Eisenstein kind of stuff and why, why you edit like this. And I'm really focusing on the mathematics and the technicalities of like, this is why you need to know codecs. Like, this is a huge deal. You do not need a $10,000 machine. Use a proxy and edit on a 2009 old iMac, which I did for like four years for my first tutorials. You know, I just use proxies. And film, film trade school. Yeah, a little bit more of, of real world yeah, kind of experience. More, more, more practical, practical, less theory. Yeah. Theory is great. Right. And I think there will always be a spot for that because it needs a lot of time. But more often than not, I have people coming to me and saying, how do I do this one thing that I need so I can get paid, so I can finish this job, so I can go home and spend more time with my friends and family? And that's what I want to focus on. Okay. Um, so now on to a little bit of like a, uh, a segment where, I mean, I'm going to cut me saying this part out, but it's, it, this is, this is going to be like a segment where if there's any topics you'd like to talk about, we can just talk about them now. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So something that's really interesting to me is kind of how, uh, the walls are disappearing between a lot of different things. It wasn't more than 10 years ago that you had to have, um, a very expensive camera rig and you had to have specialty training to use that. Whereas now I'm watching some incredible productions with off the shelf hardware running on laptops or even iPads. And they are a lot of times better than what I'm seeing out of, uh, I would say traditional facilities. Uh, you have, let's say a new, um, superhero movie that comes out and people are blown away by the effects and within a week you have tutorials of how people are doing a very similar if not identical effect with something like after effects or Mm -hmm. with fusion and so it's becoming really interesting and where does that go from here if if cameras are cheap that everyone can use them and they're incredible quality if everybody has uh you know, even something like Final Cut or Premiere Pro that runs on pretty much everything and the speed is instantaneous, what does that do for the future of production? Does it marginalize it? Does it does it make it worthless? Or does it get even more specialized? And that's that's very I, interesting. I feel like the reason why production will probably never be completely marginalized is because the distribution aspect is still very much under lock and key. And you bring up a great point because uh, a lot of my stuff is on YouTube and I've, I've had a lot of, I don't want to say issues with YouTube, but I don't know if that's the future because YouTube keeps mm-hmm. changing the rules. YouTube is trying to be something for everybody and you can't please everybody all the time. Uh, I've watched in the last well, couple it- of Go ahead. YouTube's monetization scheme, from what I understand, is basically you you have to upload once a day, every day, and have a decent number of viewers who watch the entire video all the way through just to make even something close to a living wage. So that so that's a misnomer. Very few people actually make money on YouTube. Uh, I would say that uh, I, you know I don't have a lot of subscribers at the time of this recording. I've got just over sixteen thousand, and I have something about thirty seven thousand views per month. And I've got a hundred videos just on one channel, which isn't a lot. And people tend to watch a majority of those. And uh, I've 
I do not make very much off of that at all. I would say I make more if I just did a paper route for a month than I actually would make off of YouTube. So the, the trick is with YouTube is it's, it's a signpost and it's a way to showcase things to a very wide audience, but you as a creator have little to no control over what ads go on your on your videos. You have little to no control over what they can change on the fly. You know, at any time, if I put out a, a series of VFX tutorials with very convincing beheadings and show it as a tutorial, my stuff would likely be all taken down and I and everything I've ever put on YouTube would be gone. Mm-hmm. And that is, as a creator, a very tough place to to be because I feel like I'm not necessarily as respected or I don't really have much of a voice, which I understand it's their platform. I am paying nothing for this privilege and they have bills to pay. I understand that. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of other options out there. Vimeo used to be a really great option. I don't see it as a great option anymore. I don't see another... Yeah, Vimeo is almost exclusively where I put like show reels now just because yeah. of the, the quality of the upload. But I mean, there's there's no advertising uh, platform that you can really use to make money on Vimeo. They had a tip jar for a while, and I think I made a total of $2 off of that in like four years. So I, I get why they, yeah. why they, they killed it. But I'm curious to see if anybody else does something like YouTube. I think that they'll. I mean, they can just they can go to town. They can they can really do something with it. Well, I, I feel like what's missing is a platform that's like YouTube, but is focused on narrative and documentary content. Something that's not about you as a person, but more about the work that you produce. So you're you're building an audience for your work, not an audience for you as a person. Where I feel like YouTube is about the individual who is behind the camera or in front of it, not the work itself. The trick is, how do you pay for that? That, I don't know. Uh, I feel like you'd have to have a studio that already has an audience and is trying to leverage that audience to make money with the platform, and then everyone else jumps on after that platform is built. And so, I don't, I don't think there's a way to do that up front. See, I think there is. And I'm going to come back to Unreal, because I think Unreal is onto something. Unreal mm-hmm. puts together right now some of the absolute best tools for game development for free and the way they get paid is when you get paid so in that regard you look at look at adobe look at apple look at even black magic uh, design with resolve it is in black magic's best interest to produce some incredible stuff so that way people get into that that ecosystem and they buy those cameras they buy that equipment. With Apple, it's it's really the software. I mean, you can get a Hackintosh that is way cheaper than, than Apple, but you're paying for the Apple experience. Mm-hmm. And that puts Adobe in a tough place, and they have to have such a low price point, and they have to lock you into a subscription because the hardware can change at any time. Like when they dropped, when, when Apple decided we're not handling you know QuickTime 32 anymore, and that really screwed things up for for everybody, um, but you know it's theirs. They can do what they want with it. But Unreal has only the interest to create the best tools because if they create the best tools, they're investing in you. And I don't see YouTube doing that. And if YouTube did that, 
if YouTube said, hey, once you make money, we make money, the whole dynamic would flip. You would see incredible work on YouTube. I would say it would get even close to like the stuff on Netflix because now there's a drive to create the best possible content and to empower the users to create the best possible content. But right mm-hmm. now, they're not doing that. Yeah. Because, as I mentioned, most of the top stuff on YouTube is about the person, not the work. So while they may be talking about interesting concepts or you know they may have an interesting personality, the quality of what they're doing and the overall value of the video itself isn't the point so much as it is you know who they are. And you know, to come full circle, I think that's why Final Cut Pro and Apple Motion is starting to get more attention because they are putting out updates and it is very cheap for the price. The thing is you're paying kind of upfront. And so, you know, I see a lot of people, they, they make a lot of great things and they're like, oh, now I can get the iMac Pro. And I think that's Apple's way of thinking of, look, we've invested in you by creating these awesome, incredible tools. Now you're going to come back and buy a very great but expensive machine. How do you feel about the theory that eventually narrative video will be unpopular um, and unprofitable? Because it seems like there is sort of a slide away from narrative and more towards documentarian-style work. Uh, I don't think so. I think that uh, narrative work will always have a place because there's always a story to tell. And I think the lines will merge a little bit more where... You know, is it a documentary or is it a narrative kind of scripted thing? Because all the best stories are true. All the craziest stories are true. And sometimes, like everything, we don't necessarily want to talk about all the hard things. So we kind of pretty them up. We we don't mention the uh, disgusting factors. We might just, you know, let's, let's clean that up because it's too hard to look at. And that's narrative content. Okay. I don't know um, if that answers your question, but that's what I got. No, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. It, it was just more or less based upon research that I've been reading about viewership numbers and online video and how even on Netflix and Hulu, more people are watching reality shows and documentaries than they are watching narrative. And so there's this theory that's forming behind the scenes and a lot of, like... Um, academic circles about is the narrative as we know it dead sure but i'm gonna i'm gonna pose this question to you where are those where are those coming from what was the last movie you saw the last movie that i saw was probably spider-man homecoming okay is that a reality thing no no what was the last movie you saw before that Blade Runner, okay, uh, twenty forty nine. Is that is that a documentary? No. Okay, so I'm wondering, and I'm I'm not I'm not posing this as kind of like a like conspiracy or anything like that. But would it be in the best interest of Netflix to say that yeah, documentaries are are really good because they're really cheap and fast to make, and narrative stuff that craft takes time. That that craft of telling a good story in a way that is good takes time. I don't think that'll ever go away. Mm. Okay. I mean, that's, 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 that is a, a thought, um, 
could if it's up with what could possibly be going on with the interest. It's not it's not above media companies to manipulate the market for their own self interest. Not at all. I mean, everyone wants to get paid. I'm, yeah. I'm, if I have a car that I'm selling you, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to go out of my way to tell you the times that I've driven it over curbs or like every bump. I'm going to tell you about the best times of this car and the reliability of this car and how it will make your life better. It'll get you from point A to point B. That's marketing. Okay. Um, do you have any other topics you'd like to follow? You know, I think the only other topic I really wanted uh, I really wanted to talk about is kind of what's after after effects. What's what's the next kind of thing? Because okay. from what I'm seeing in and you know this doesn't even have to be part of the interview necessarily, but like I really want to get your opinion on this. Is I look at after effects and it's like looking at a dinosaur in terms of UI, in terms of usability. In terms of, okay, what do you want to do? Oh, well, here's 30 hours of tutorials to, to know how to, this one thing works. And then you have to use these eight other plugins to get these particles to work exactly like this. Every, it, it, it's incredible. It's, uh, it's the basis of so many movies and TV shows and other work in both motion graphics and VFX and even just regular old storytelling, sky replacements or people replacements. Um, Where does that go? Because we're in a world now where I have Unreal, where I have GPUs that can run much, much faster than these particle systems. Where do we go from here? Because it's not working. I feel, I feel like, like After, After Effects itself, itself is probably going to end up like Shake and a lot of other um, post-production graphics software have ended up where they get discontinued in favor of something new. What, what that new thing is, I don't know. I have more of an idea of what I wish it was. Um, well, okay, let's talk about that. What do you wish it was? I kind of wish that they would integrate the game engine style rendering uh, for crafting that you get with Unreal with ray tracing for the final output. Um, because I feel like ray tracing is so underutilized and misutilized. It's it, like in Blender, if you're trying to work with ray tracing, it's ray tracing the whole way through. And so it's, it's just very slow to have your changes update. You have to sit there and wait and render each individual update you make. You're like, oh, I want this basketball to be shiny. Well, you change the parameters on, on the uh, texture and the material, and then you have to wait 10 minutes for it to update so you can even see if it looks right. Um, I think focusing more and more on, on real-time uh, feedback is going to be important uh, across the board. I'd also love to see integration of After Effects-like programs where it's, it's more focused on uh, emitters and, and keyframed titles and keyframed graphics, you know, like uh, solids, text, drawings, uh, integrated more into a 3D environment naturally rather than having to separate like 2D and 3D as if they're two different things. Or maybe um, even 2.5D. Like that's still my problem yeah. is even in After Effects, you know, they did have a ray tracing engine and it, it wasn't really that great. Like it, it, when it worked, it worked, but it was so clunky and unusable. And even with motion, they put in their 3D text and I'm wondering, well, why is this here? Because I can't do anything else in 3D. I don't want, mm-hmm. you know, letters spinning around in 3D. I want geometry. The, the other, other thing, thing that I'm interested in seeing is 
an update to interfaces. I, I think it's fascinating that we have touch screens everywhere, we have motion controllers everywhere, we have like VR headsets which you can use to, you know, walk around or even like peek around the objects that you're working with in a, a 3D environment that's more intuitive, yet that's never really been used for interface work. It's always been used for like gimmicky games or or you know applications, but not the creation aspect itself. Yeah, and you bring up a really interesting point because I think for the most part, touchscreens suck because mm-hmm. I don't want to have to, like, imagine having a touchscreen on your iMac. Sure, that might be good once or twice when you want to open something or move something around like in Photoshop, and that'd be great. But for the most part, it kind of sucks, and it's always kind of pigeonholed as kind of like a, oh, you have to do this, and the experience itself isn't great. But I love what you're saying about why don't we have something if 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 apple is so concerned about machine learning and they're so concerned about uh, augmented reality where is their augmented reality program i can't create any of those things i look at my apple watch that has incredible particle systems taking my heart rate and i can't create that in apple motion and so i'm wondering is this either in the background or are you guys not wanting to do this and something tells me Oh, they're doing something with it. Well, what I mean by the touchscreen and, and the VR integration and like motion integration for user interfaces, I'm not saying replace the, the mouse and keyboard because there's a reason why it's still around. It is, it is the most effective and intuitive way to work with the software itself. But I do feel like for specialized tasks like resizing or creating primitives or even like moving primitives around in a 3D environment, a touchscreen would be perfect for that. I would or agree even with selecting that. Like yeah. between different windows, it's perfect for that. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think I'm that's... a fan of the idea of not having one new control style replace the old control style, but rather integrate it as just another piece of, of the larger tool set. And I think we, we're starting to see some of that with even force touch. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I work with a, a, a Mac trackpad, and I and I love it because I can I can do very specific things with it, and there's specific nuance to gestures that you can't necessarily do with a mouse, and so being able to twist and move things that's the first step, but I I think you're right in saying that you know we need a, a new paradigm in how we interact with this stuff, like for example um. Just a scenario I thought of off the top of my head. In After Effects, you know, whenever you are creating new objects, it's creating new layers because that's Adobe's thing. They work in layers. What if instead of having to move your mouse, click on a layer, and then have your adjustments affect that, you could just tap your monitor. That would be how you select the layer. And then you can keep working with the keyboard and the mouse on the actual parameters that you're trying to adjust. And sure, there's some, there's some laptops that do that. The problem is it doesn't always know exactly where you push win because the OS might override it and then the program might override it. Uh, A prime example of that is in After Effects when you use uh, an Apple mouse and you try, you know, you accidentally zoom in way too far or way too far out and that's a limitation because that's that's handled by the OS and there's nothing that After Effects, as far as I know, can do anything with that. Um, Are you familiar with... uh, uh it's technically a video game, but I'd consider it more of a creation platform that's coming out for the PlayStation, of all things, called Dreams. I, I don't think so. I haven't heard this, no. It is a voxel-based animation and 3D rendering software where you can model, you can render, you can place cameras and lights. It's essentially like Blender or Maya or um, the Unreal Engine, but it's all handled via motion controls on PlayStation. 
Mm. I so I have seen some of that stuff, like from uh, the Vive, and uh, you know, like they have the three D paint and sketch, and some people are putting together some really cool things. I follow a couple of people on Instagram that are creating things just in um, some of these VR environments. And I, I see it as a new way of sculpting. It's kind of like that 3D pencil that people tried to push for a while but isn't a gooey piece of plastic that kind of dribbles everywhere. It's, it's like Photoshop in, in midair. And I think, I think you're right with that. If, if you can have in interaction with that, but then the next question is, then do you even need a screen? Because eventually, if we keep going kind of down this path, we're not going to necessarily need screens anymore. We're not going to need this flatness. I feel like you will as long as software still expects the kind of like high-level decision-making that it currently does. Um, you know, I, I don't see myself being able to easily manipulate, say, texture uh, sliders or, or you know, find files on my hard drive and then like link them to something using touch controls or motion controls or uh, VR headset. Mm. Um, so I feel like you're, you're always going to have, at least on the professional side, that need for a, a, a removal between you and, and the object that, that you're working with, just so you can work in the operating system and do the high-level um, decision-making that you have to do to, to get it linked up. But I do feel like the actual act of editing and the act of doing VFX and the act of drawing is going to be removed from screens in the near future. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Uh, I'm very curious, curious to see where things go. I, I suspect even tools are going to change with machine learning and and AI. I think um, probably um, one of the fears that I have though is that machine learning might end up making all of this obsolete in the long run. Absolutely, I think it will. I Absolutely, I understand it will, but it'll be kind of a shame. Because the, the art of creating is, is fun. Um, I, I feel like there's an argument to be made that you know, a machine replacing a utilitarian job is completely understandable, where a machine that replaces a creative job is, is sort of a, um, a tragedy, because the, the act of creating is, is part of why we live and, and do what we do in the first place. And if you can no longer do that, why are we here? <laughs> So my, my question to you then, and this is some th stuff that I think deeply about, um, why not have the best of both worlds? Because where we are now as a society is we're no longer away from keyboards. We never leave. And whenever you can speak to anybody at any time, anywhere on the planet, and few people do, but those that do, it's, it's an incredible thing. And I think that machine learning and, and these instant creation of tools and this robust creative tool set is just going to be the next evolution. Hmm. It's possible. But yeah. I just have concerns. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. But you might sound like an old man already. You know what I mean? You might just be like, okay, Grandpa, we're just going to do this because why... <laughs> Why would I look it up in the phone book when I can look it up online and it's right there? Well, that's that's a utilitarian purpose, though. There's, I still feel like there's a difference between doing something because it's what you have to do and doing something because it's what you want to do. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that that's an interesting point. So, anything um, else you want to talk about? I, I, you know. Honestly, I'd, I'd like to talk about um, digital media as a whole. Um, because whenever I got started in, into this, 
um, it was kind of like a hybrid world between digital and analog. And as I've gone through, it's, it's become more and more digital. And I'm, I'm curious about your perspective and, and your history in uh, working with digital media. Because I got started when it was still tape. You know, I had briefly worked with film, uh, and I still continue to play around with it occasionally. But videotape was where, you know, the majority of my early experience with video came from. Um, See, I cut I'm on curious. film. So in high school, I went to a high school called Maine Township High School East. It's actually where Harrison Ford and Hillary Clinton went. Fun fact. Nice. And um, they had a small studio in there, and that is the very first time I actually cut film with one of those razors. You know, like you set it down and you plunk it down, and it would perfectly cut it. And that is actually how I very first start. I started working in that was actually just pulling that film. Now you ask, where does this go as far as digital, whatever? I have well, I have less what? and less faith in digital. Okay. And the reason for that is um, I used to create, I used to kind of collect music online. Like I would buy a lot of stuff and I would download all of it. And I realized just like you're saying, like, you know, we, we have this opportunity to kind of create things and it's great if we can replace it with something faster and quicker, like, you know, real time rendering, but it'd be great to see the artistry behind it. Like I love buying records and opening up the album and seeing the art and feeling it and putting it on a record player. The other reason is it always freaking works. I don't have the wrong codec installed and it won't play or my Bluetooth hasn't been updated or I don't have the license rights anymore or some company bought it and turned it into a new thing so now I have to get a third party upgrade to make it work. It will always work and for the last hundred years that record will still work whereas digital media, no. That's interesting because I, I was talking with a couple of buddies not too long ago about the idea of using film prints, like 16-millimeter film prints, the same way that records have been used to create like a, a higher-end, uh, better-quality consumer product uh, for people who are like really big into a movie. They want it so they can own it, but they also want to own it in a way that is better than just watching it on Netflix. 